Welcome to the Recruitment Flex with Serge and Shelly. I'm Serge. And I'm Shelly. And we talk all things recruitment starting right now. Welcome to another episode of the Recruitment Flex. I'm Shelly and joined with me, of course, is my lovely and talented co-host, Serge Boudreaux. Serge, good day, sir. It's always great to see you and hear you. Oh, thank you. We have another special episode. Like the amount of guests and the quality of guests that we get, Shelly, is pretty impressive. I do want to go ahead and yeah. Jason Putman from Handle Logic. You know how much I love programmatic and Jason. You are a big fan. The senior VP at Handle Logic. Jason, thank you so much for joining us. Hey, how are you? Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be uh, gaining in popularity north of the border after the show. So thank you. Yeah. <laughs> after you've made it in Canada, you can make it anywhere. Isn't say <laughs> that the same? Sure. We'll go with that. Yeah, not quite, but close. Close, close. enough. So Jason, uh, you've been in the recruitment tech space for a fairly long time, and I'm always curious to know how people get in this industry. We all know that no one goes to school wanting to be a recruiter. What was your journey in the recruitment tech space? Yeah, it's an interesting journey as everybody else has had. So I don't consider myself somebody who's in HR tech. I consider myself more of a tech person. So I've done many years of startups and turnarounds. And one of those in the early, early, early days of my career was a company called Oodle. And they had a lot of different verticals. Think of them almost like a Craigslist 2.0 back in the day. And they were acquired by QVC. But during that time, I was running verticals that were uh, automotive and real estate and, and employment, we called it jobs. And that was kind of my first foray into it. Back in the muddy days, if they've gotten any cleaner now of the aggregator world, where a click was sold 72 times and did that for many years and got out of it and then got back into it. And then recently, prior to Pando, I was the chief revenue officer for a company called Bounty Jobs, which a lot of people know. I did that for almost five years, got that to be um, at a really good spot. And then I've been here about a year. At Pando. So for our audience that I can't imagine if anybody on our audience hasn't heard of Panda Logic, can you give us what attracted you to Panda Logic? What was it about this space that made it a good next move for you? And maybe any sort of news updates on what's happening at Panda Logic? A lot of news, lots of updates. I like the question a lot about the attraction because for yeah. me, being long in the tooth, I tend to pick my moves very carefully, mm-hmm. probably a lot more carefully than I did when I was, you know, 30. Or 40. So I, I looked at it from the perspective I like the industry, I have a lot of good connections in this industry. They came knocking and I did a lot of research on them. And what I found was I'm a big fan of programmatic, and programmatic has been around forever outside of the HR tech space, mm-hmm. knew it really well. They were a great company, led, well funded, good board. The team was all great. And when you look at what I call the open ocean of what's available in the HR tech space. Programmatic has been adopted 95% plus for lead gen, typical sales and marketing lead gen for almost every company. But when you look at programmatic in the HR tech space, it's still only about 7%. So for me, there was this blue ocean feel of being able to do that. So it was a combination of a very large TAM solving a very big problem. A lot of great people I can deal with, an, an amazing company. And what I think is probably the best tech out there And then what my specialty is, you've read many of the books about crossing the chasm, taking something that's going really well and commoditizing it to take it to the broader market. So that is really where a lot of our growth has come in the last year is is demystifying programmatic, 
probably not even using that word when we talk to people in the HR tech space and really mm-hmm. focusing much more on an outcome-based sell and a technical sell. And, and it has been great. Our growth rate is through the roof. We uh, acquired a company called Wade & Wendy not that long ago, which is mm-hmm. conversational AI. And then recently, I'm sure a lot of people heard we were acquired. So it has been a very busy, diligent year for a lot of us. And we were acquired by a company called uh, Veritone, which is a publicly traded company outside of the HR tech space. Okay. So can I just back something up here? What percentage did you say in the HR tech space understands programmatic? Did you say seven or 70? Uh, There's no zero, just seven. You said seven, seven percent, seven percent. Okay. So you love a challenge. Yes. Oh my God. And, okay, and sorry. You, I just had to make sure I heard that. Yeah, and when you there's different approaches out there for any product going to market. You can have the technical approach, which we did and we've done very well even prior to my time here. But we sold very technically to very technical people, so call them the early on adopters, and they yeah. got it and they love it and they're still using it. But when you look at the typical person who is our customer or who should be our customer, they don't understand what programmatic is and then trying to explain that based on how algorithms work is just not what is going to work. So for me, the challenge wasn't saying the technical words more. It was taking the tech out of it and really bringing it to what's the impact it's going to be. And it's very different if you're on Mm -hmm. the employer side, if you're a Verizon or an Amazon versus you're a staffing company or an RPO. And it's a very different approach. And we're evenly mixed among the two. It's really doing what I call the go-to-market and the sales enablement, which is marketing, branding, sales, all the way through even into customer service. Sorry. I I am going to dig in a little bit deeper on that. uh, But Pandologic, three years ago, and correct me on the day, 2019, a lot of the programmatic players got acquired. Mm-hmm. Pendologic was not one of those players. We had your CEO, Terry Baker, on the show saying, hey, we're waiting for a better deal. And maybe not in those exact words. And that deal happened this year. But what shocked me and shocked a lot of people in the HR tech space is it's not an HR tech player. So tell me a little bit about Veritone and how Pendologic fits into the Veritone family. Yeah, I will. And yes, I agree with Terry 100%. Uh, This last year was really about driving value, not just value for us, but value for the shareholders, value for our employees, and most importantly, value for the customers, whether they were existing customers and new customers we were going to bring in. And we exited for $150 million, which is certainly the largest in the programmatic space ever that has happened. So that's all good. I don't want to speak on Veritone's behalf. I'll I'll tell you what I think it means to us and what I think it means to the industry. So they're an amazing company. Their AI tech, essentially bringing AI to the masses almost as an operating platform is really interesting. And we've all been in this space long enough. A lot of big HR tech players acquire companies, and then those companies don't live up to what they should be or could have been or they get marginalized or they get wrapped in. So we are going to be a a freestanding business unit underneath Veritone. So nothing really changes for us, except for we reported to one board and now we report to another board. That's really the only impact on us on the business outside of having such a great company with amazing tech and amazing leadership coming side by side with us. So what's really interesting about Veritone is they're very verticalized. So they have stuff in the entertainment industry. They have stuff in law enforcement and energy where they're only cross vertical play. So if you think about the hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands of customers that they have, those customers all still have the same inherent needs of the customers we're selling to today. They probably still have that 7% adoption rate, but the same challenges we have today from the macroeconomic issues we have with employment. So now we can be that, that HCM solution across all of them. And then when you start layering on 
Wade and Wendy to that, as well as the tech that they have. It is really a, a match made in heaven, in my opinion. So let's dig in a little bit deeper on the what, why, and how of programmatic. So it gives you a little bit of context. I've been uh, a TA leader for a long time, and I've been using programmatic for eight years. And since we started this show, I've been talking about programmatic. And I think you just pointed out the reason <laughs> that I haven't had an impact to a lot of our listeners, because I've been selling it on a very technical level. So I'm curious to see when we talk about 7%, which kind of blows my mind because in the aptitude research of companies that use programmatic, 95% of people that use programmatic either upgrade, spend more, it never goes down and they never leave. So Mm -hmm. what is Pendle Logic's approach to why a company should use programmatic? It's really interesting, Serge. I'm going to answer it, hopefully, which I like to do via storytelling because it allows people to be in a little more of a comfortable area that they don't have to be confused. Programmatic, it's been around a long time. It's not something to be scary. And when you start focusing more, and I I can do a three-hour podcast on how technology works for programmatic if you want. I don't think that's what we want to do. So let's take programmatic out of the equation and let's talk about something that we all deal with every day. Okay. So when you're in Canada, so this will certainly hit home. Let's say when you come home, your house is cold and you want your house to be 70 degrees. I can't do the conversion. You could probably do it for me, but here in the States, I want it to be 70 degrees. So what do I do? I turn my thermostat to 70 degrees and my house becomes 70 degrees. I don't care how it became 70 degrees in my house. I don't need to know how certain things work in my HVAC system to become 70 degrees. Frankly, I don't care if there's a dragon in the basement breathing fire. I just want my house to be 70 degrees. So programmatic is a means to get the results that you want. It is a mechanism by which you're going to get better outcomes or save money or whatever that is. So our approach has been, you have a problem. And we want to help you solve that problem. Or you have an opportunity. We want to help you solve that opportunity. So all programmatic is helping you get the best candidate, make sure it's at the right price. You're getting them on the right or her on the right location. And to do it in a way that's more intelligent and more efficient than what you're doing today. And to automate as much of that, and that's a huge difference with Panda Logic than some of the other people in the programmatic space, automate as much of that as you can so you don't have to touch it to free up your time to be more strategic. My first job out of college was I worked at a newspaper selling quarter page employment ads. At the time, before the internet, that was programmatic because it was the most effective way to get somebody to apply for a job. Technology and everything else has advanced so far that at one point, CareerBuilder was the most efficient way and indeed was the most efficient way. Now you have technology and AI and machine learning that is now the most efficient way. And this industry goes through kind of these 10-year maturations, which something's really new. And then it takes nine years for most of the talent acquisition space to adopt it. It's good for one more year and then something new comes out. So my encouragement is we're right at the front of programmatic for the HR tech space, because this is a competitive world. Think of this as a sales funnel. We're all at the front end Mm-hmm. of that 10-year curve. And if those people, the 95% who are still keeping it, are getting more candidates more efficiently at a better cost, and more importantly, they have freed up their time to be more strategic and focus on the things that matter in the organization. Great explanation. Makes a lot of sense. I think for a lot of people, to your point, that are are nervous uh, about starting something new, because one of the challenges in this space, there's so much noise when it comes to HR yeah. tech. What am I going to use? What am I not going to use? So the ability to focus on outcomes is critical. 
I, I will also add to that as you started out with your story, Jason, around the Canadian market, we're really cautious, I think, about new technology. I think the 10-year lag is very true. But when it takes hold, it's put on your seatbelt because that's where you want to be. That's the wave you want to be on. And that's all it usually takes is, oh, I get it. This is why we want to use programmatic. And that is why (laughs) I I like the idea of storytelling when it comes to this, because if you can take the tech and demystify the tech and just put it in the real world, I know, Serge, you and I talked about this before. And again, another story here. If I go back 10 years ago, even 15 years ago, or even longer, if I wanted to buy a golf club, what I did was say, how far am I willing to drive to go look at golf clubs? Call it 20 miles. Mm-hmm. Then how many retail locations are within those 20 miles? And then I could go to all those locations. And then I had a governor around me of what inventory they had at what cost. Now you have programmatic. I can get any golf club I want. I can have 10 of them shipped to my house. I can price shop and it all be delivered to me today. And I am no longer bound by all these things. So that picking out a golf club may have taken me weeks to find the right one. I can now do it in days. And now you take something like Amazon. We all use programmatic every day. Anytime you go to your Amazon dashboard and it shows you, here's the dog food you should buy because it already knows. And if and it knows you're about to run out and you click a button and everything else that's on your Amazon dashboard, that is programmatic that we all use every day. So I, I get that there's a fear of it, mm-hmm. but my perception of the fear, being somebody who's been in the HR tech space, but also on the other side of the startup world, selling to a different side of the P&L, a lot of what I see in the talent acquisition space is fear mitigation, right? Mm-hmm, is people mm-hmm. don't want to make a mistake. And, and I think where that comes from is everyone wants to be strategic and they're just waiting for somebody to come tap on their shoulder and say, please be strategic. Mm-hmm. But talent acquisition has typically been a very administrative function. But yet when you look across the aisle and you can look at the peer on the marketing side, the 95% who are using programmatic, they're viewed very strategically. And the reason they're viewed very strategically is because they've brought in tools to free up their time, to be more efficient, to report on what's going really well so they can spend their time focusing on strategy. Whereas on this side of the house, I find that most people in talent acquisition at almost every level are working in the business as opposed to working on the business. Mm -hmm. So when you work in the business, every ripple is scary, right? Because you're viewed very tactically, very administratively. Mm -hmm. And what I encourage people to do is go look across the other side of the aisle and see what people are doing to be strategic. So by bringing in any technology, I'll speak specifically to us. Mm-hmm. If somebody's getting X amount of outcome for Y amount of spend, and we can either get them 30% better results or save them 30% off their budget, think about in a strategic way, what that talent acquisition leader can do to go kick down the door of a CFO and say, remember those five strategic things I wanted to do? I wanted to hire Joe. I wanted to buy this tool. I want to do this. I now have the money to do that. And now that person can be strategic. Speaking of dragons and ghosts and scary things, (laughs) can you touch on Google for jobs? I'm doing my best to be brought along. Serge has been knocking me over the head with programmatic for a, a number of years. But another big scary, we're not sure what to make of it, is Google for jobs and those changes. How does that play into what programmatic is or does? Yeah. So let's do this. Let's pretend you take out Google for jobs and you throw in any job in that same equation. Okay. Programmatic is agnostic to what the source is. Hmm. So whether it's Indeed, whether it's Zip, whether it's abcjobs.com or whether it's Google for jobs, the whole point of programmatic and in general 
is we're going to get you the best candidate for the best price, irrespective of where they are, right? And I'll explain this in a non-technical way that I hopefully I think will make sense for people. So what Google for Jobs becomes, at least in the programmatic world, is just another source of candidates. So if you think about a typical employer, and hopefully this will answer part of the question, if you think about what a typical employer does today, because whether the market is ebbing or flowing, they need candidates. So they've gone out and they've built relationships with a great deal of job boards. So they have a contract with Indeed, they have a contract with Zip, et cetera, et cetera. And then when you fast forward at whatever that maturation point is, and I'm Jason running that, I now have 10 relationships or 20 relationships. I've spread my money out among all those job boards or all those sources. I have 10 or 20 different logins. I have 10 or 20 different reporting tools that all come in, all rendered in different ways. So all programmatic is, at least on this side of vendor management, is that million dollars that you've spread out, just give us the million dollars. We'll take that million dollars and spend it on your behalf, some to the same sources, but also a thousand other sources. Now you add Google to that source and they may end up being your third best choice of traffic or your first best choice of traffic. But that's where the technology of programmatic comes in. It's not just about how much money do I spend on a particular site. It's about making sure in real time that you're spending the money where you should. And it's the old adage that 50% of advertising is wasted. I just wish I knew which 50%. Our programmatic, and I'm only going to speak for, for Pando Logic, is we're able in real time to know what things are being efficiently sourced at the best possible price for the best possible quality and which are not in real time. So it's not put a job up for 30 days, see how it works and take it down. We make 7,000 micro decisions to a job per minute. So it may be that nursing jobs on Indeed in Toledo, Ohio do really well on Tuesdays between 2.15 and 2.28. Your jobs will be there. And then they'll be out. And then we'll take that money and put it somewhere else where we know it's just going to be as efficient. So we're not scared of a Google for jobs from a programmatic perspective. It's actually great for us because whether you went directly to Google for jobs or you came from a programmatic perspective, it's just another data source for us. But if I'm a job board, I would be terrified because what a lot of job boards do really well is they use Google's algorithms to get a lot of candidates and surface really well. It's what built Indeed's entire business. So the only thing that's going to stop Indeed from being the biggest board out there is Google. Google is going to be able to do Google better than Indeed can. This is my opinion. My opinion. I'll just I'll give. Because if you look at most job searches happen initially in Google, I I think the numbers are over 85%. That's where they start. And Indeed has really been Indeed because they've mastered SEO before anyone else could in this space. And they really put themselves in a position. And when people were looking for jobs, they were finding Indeed first. So now the widget that Google for Job has installed shows up on the top and creates a little bit of friction to someone to get to Indeed. The flip side of Google for Jobs, though, that people realize Google makes billions from job boards. Job boards are spending a ton on AdWords and and being at the top of the searches. So it's going to be interesting to see. I agree. I think the only real competition in the long run, we can talk about ZipRecruiter, is going to be Google for jobs. But let's 
go a little bit into the current landscape. I've never seen a market like this. The demand and the supply are, are not aligned. We're seeing where there's 40% more job postings, there's 40% less applicants for these roles, which for a company like Indeed, that's how they make money. The cost per clicks are just driving higher. But what's your overall thoughts on the current recruitment landscape, which is extremely noisy, extremely busy? I've never seen anything like it. I agree with you. Most companies, whether you're staffing an RPO company or you're an employer, are looking at it at the micro level. How does it affect you? And and I do think there's a lot of sins of the father that need to be corrected in the talent acquisition space, both from acquiring and also retention to make sure this works. But I tend to look at things at the macroeconomic level. We had a pandemic. And before the pandemic, the market was crazy as well. It wasn't like this. Pandemic hits overnight, Mm -hmm. a lot of everyday workers were decimated and a lot of talent acquisition departments were decimated. So we had this kind of institutional knowledge within organizations that was wiped out of organizations. And then you had um, people getting government assistance who aren't going to go back to work, at least till that goes away. And then you had a huge population of working mothers Mm-hmm. who stayed home because their kids were home because they weren't going to school. And then when that happens, you realize, well, maybe I can just stay home. You kind of wean yourself off the dual income thing. It happened with us. So I think there's just at a macroeconomic level, there's a lot more happening. While the pandemic was happening, people were also not looking for work because everyone was nervous about what was going to happen. So everyone stayed back. So it's this combination of supply and demand, lifestyle changes within people. But then you have just everyone now going, okay, The sky didn't fall. It was really bad. Now you have 55% of people saying they're looking for a job. The stat I just saw, 15% of people are going to change jobs in the US by the end of the year. 15%. And when we get back to the micro level, you're going to look at your company if you're the CEO or whoever, and you're going to go, yeah, but that's everyone else. That's not me because we have A, B, and C, right? So this is basic economics 101. Supply and demand is off. We have inflation happening in talent which is what's happening. People are getting two or three jumps in title and then salaries and wages are going off the charts. At some point it comes back down, but there is a, I hate the term war on talent, but there is a war on talent and people are looking for jobs and it's not just about the money. There's a lot of things people need to do institutionally Mm -hmm. to attract better talent. And there are things they need to do even on the front end from a job posting perspective to make sure they're attracting most of the talent. One of our stats was if you just put income in the job description, you'll get between five and 12x more applicants. That's huge. If you put other data in there like shift work or really specific on benefits and whatever else makes sense for your company, 40% more. People are just freaking out. And what they're doing is spending more money. So pick a job board. Hey, it's a dollar a click for a nurse. Hey, I need more nurses. Well, you should up your click, pay more money. Chances are you may already be at the highest level of that click and just spending more money is not going to get you more applicants. I think there's more of a systemic problem here. Macroeconomically, we would have gotten to where we are from a remote work perspective over the next 10 to 20 years, Mm -hmm. but it happened overnight because of the pandemic and nobody knew what to do. And then some people over-index and some people are under-indexing, but there needs to be kind of this slight pause where people start figuring out what really matters to people. Because at the end of the day, it is actually not money as much as people think it is. 
I agree. And I remember saying, even in the early days, there will now be an opportunity for people to reflect on what's really important to them. And I've always said, when somebody says the reason I'm changing jobs is for better pay, it it shuts everybody up. But do do we go the next step and say how much more? And if they said 25 cents an hour more, you're kind of like, but the truth is the reason people are not going back to work in the jobs they had before is because they were treated like shit and they were paid crappy. Yep. And I'm just not going to go back and do that. I was listening to a podcast recently about another job category of hairdressers and trying to blame everything but themselves on why there's been a 50% drop in hairstylists wanting to go back to be hairstylists again. Okay. Let's think about this. You guys, it's crappy pay, it's crappy hours, and you deal with people who are never happy. <laughs> Nobody's ever happy with their haircut. Right? I'm always happy about my hair, Shelly. Because your wife cuts it. <laughs> <laughs> she did. Yes, during the pandemic. yes, she sure did. And I love your view of the world because looking at this big picture, I love all the points you touched, Jason. I know you're right. And as we look at this across job families, to spend more money on trying to find hairdressers when in fact... 50 or 55% of them said, screw off. I am never going to do this again. I'm going to do something different with my talent because great customer service skills is something that good hairstylists have. Well, guess what? There isn't an industry that doesn't want somebody with good customer service skills. Like let's not get too excited here. It will calm down again too. Yeah. And as hard as it is right now, I think all of this is for the greater good. Whether you want to look at it from a kumbaya moment or a capitalist perspective, I mean it both ways because ultimately it comes down to the people. And that's the type of person like I am as a leader as well. I think the people build the organization. Mm -hmm. And 4 million people in the US quit their job in July. So why did they quit their job? They were treated like shit. They weren't making enough money, whatever the reasons are. So then you have this pool of people who felt somewhat marginalized Hairdressers are a great one. Mm -hmm. I get treated like shit every day. I don't make a lot of money. What else am I going to do? And then maybe they don't have a college degree. And then you have a company that needs customer service, Verizon, Comcast, whoever. So now what's happening is they have nobody applying. So somebody who could be amazing at that job, who was cutting hair for five years, who the only reason they didn't apply or get hired is because they didn't have a college degree. So now the supply and demand is forcing Mm -hmm. companies to open up their aperture to bring in people who are probably amazing at the job, but the corporate rigor got in the way. And the fact that they can be remote opens it up. So think about mm-hmm. how many single moms can only work certain hours a day and mm-hmm. could only have certain jobs that played into that certain hours yeah. a day. And now what you have is you have a whole new pool of people who will appreciate the new job they get because it's so much better than the old job that they had where they were yeah. treated like shit for no money. And now you have companies who are forced, they're not doing it out of the the good nature of their heart. Let's not lie to ourselves here. But they're forced to look at those type of candidates. And I think, again, over time, this is going to have amazing impacts ultimately on the worker Mm -hmm. and on the organizations who are bringing in happy people, they're paying well, if they continue to treat them well. And when you take somebody who knows how bad it can be for how little money and you put them in a job with a good environment and a very fair pay. Right. (laughs) Yeah. So I love that take as well. And I know Serge, you really share that sentiment as well, because if your own 
hiring brain can't get over the fact that you can't keep sticking to must have college degree. If your business can't shift with what the market has to offer and see people differently, do you really have a business? Honestly. The one point that a lot of people have said, and it makes a lot of sense to me is, is there a labor shortage? Maybe no. not. It's it's not really a labor shortage. It's uh, a shortage of people that are willing to work for jobs that are underpaid in crappy environment. The companies that have been increasing their wages, increasing their pool of candidates they're trying to attract, have been doing really well. It's the companies that have been staying with that $7.25 minimum wage, which was exactly the same as in 2009. I don't know how you can live in a world where inflation over 10 years, but the salaries don't change. Yes, you are going to be in a tough position to hire anyone. On that note, Jason, awesome, awesome, awesome. Mm-hmm. That was fun. Yeah. I know a lot of our listeners are going to be like, who is this dude? How do I find him? What the hell is Pandologic? So what's the best way for anyone to get a hold? If you're looking at Pandologic, you can go to pandologic.com. I am listed on the website as well. You can check me out on LinkedIn. It's Jason Putnam, P-U-T-N-A-M. I agree with everything you all said. If people start changing the way they care about people, the way they attract talent, the way they treat people, I don't think there's a labor shortage. I think there's a, a passion shortage in the workplace. And if you can change that and really give a shit about people, you'd be amazed who you will attract and how long they will stay. I am going to steal passion shortage. I love that. (laughs) Okay. That's the title of this episode. (laughs) Thank you so much, Jason. Yeah. Really informative. Thank you for helping us understand a little bit more about programmatic. And yes, please go forth on your mission to simplify and demystify what it is. Gladly. Thank you. Talk again. Bye. Bye. What was it like to be there for historical sports moments and unforgettable performances? To be behind the scenes? On Pressbox Access, you'll hear from me, Todd Jones, and other sports writers about their experiences with the greatest athletes, coaches, and sports events of the past half century. We'll share some stories behind the stories, some big, some small and some we've only told each other. Let us buy you around on Press Box Access.